Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the disciples just got back from the first time Jesus sent them out. This was their first chance to try this thing out in the real world. I remember how well that went. They have some concerns, too. They really shouldn't complain, though. It went way worse for John the Baptist. He died. To be more specific, he had his head cut off and paraded around on a silver platter at a party for saying the very same things that he was actually sent to say by God. You know, preaching the word. Things were not going great. The disciples are frustrated and scared. And even Jesus is hurting. So he pulls everyone back, full retreat. You can call it a crisis of faith if you want, but even if you hate the term, faith is under siege in this world. Heartbreak, fear, suffering, sin, hate, death. All these things chip away at faith. Because it's easier to talk about words like hope when you aren't losing sleep over something or five somethings. It's easier to maintain conviction when you are the one who is in control and you feel safe. It's one of those honest criticisms of our religion that we would rather ignore because it hits real close to home. It's easier to talk about the God who takes care of you when you're not on a ventilator. It's easier to talk about his commandments when you didn't just get caught breaking one of them. It's easier to be pro-life when you aren't pregnant at 15. But when you're not in control, when you're not safe, when your best friend was just beheaded for preaching the same kind of sermon you were supposed to go out and preach and you realize that maybe God has a different plan for your life than you do, then what? When you're heartbroken and scared and hurts, then what? When you're a sinner who does not embody the religion you love, then what? We all still try to keep that conviction that we had in better days, but our voices get awful shaky sometimes. God will take care of me, but... Really? You can see it in the crowds that follow Jesus out into the wilderness. They want answers. They want hope. They want help. You can hear it in the disciples' own nervous answer. How are we going to feed so many? We only have five loaves and two fish. You might even do it yourself in a few minutes. You look up at the host that is the body of Christ in some flatbed. Listen to the promise, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And say, yeah, okay, but really? Then call it like you see it. It's a gift that God gives us. Jesus didn't save John's life. He fed 5,000 people, but I guess that seems like a pretty small miracle in comparison, no matter how many people Jesus picked up the check for after dinner. Especially since a verse later, he left so he wouldn't have to keep doing it as their king. He immediately gets in a boat and dismisses the crowd, especially since every last one of us has a secret little list somewhere of all the times he didn't help us, the people that we know that are hurting, suffering, dying, 
Jesus doesn't always help the way we want. And if that is all that you have to go on, yeah, conviction is going to be in real short supply. If you want to look at each individual problem, things look awful bleak. So instead of measuring God by every single problem, by everything that you think you lack, look at who he is in the face of all of it. Look at this singular word that drives him every step of the way. It was compassion that moved Jesus each and every time. It was compassion for the loss of his friend that drove him out into the desolate places to mourn, even though he knew about that last day when he would see his friend again. It was compassion for the people there that drove him to feed them, even as they followed him looking for mercy. It was compassion even that drove him away afterward. For when he went, it was not to abandon these people. He carried along with him their pains and their fears and most of all their sins. He wanted to do more than just answer one fear after another as they rose. He was not meant to be that kind of a king. He left not to abandon them, but in order to snuff out each problem completely. His was to go into Jerusalem to wear the crown of thorns so that sinful desire and scared idolatry would not devour us, that enemies like death and the devil would be robbed of their sting, that sinners would find mercy and forgiveness and compassion because our Lord does not measure us by whether or not we uphold his law, but whether or not we receive his gospel. Jesus gives mercy to the sinners, and he promises even the dead life, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be satisfied so that even when things look like this, we might have hope. Maybe you don't see Jesus still working in the middle of all of your problems, but neither did the disciples as they were surrounded by so many hungry mouths to feed. When your measurement is lack, why would you find hope? But when your measurement is the compassion of God, there's plenty to go on. For in the face of fear, and lack and sorrow and a complete despair by everyone involved. Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. 5,000 were fed. It was not dependent on their conviction that everything would just be okay when it didn't look like it would be. It was dependent on Christ's mercy, his compassion. Because that same love, that same mercy that drove him to care for those saints also drives him to care for you, even when he does it differently. Five loaves of bread and two fish and 5,000 people I never met honestly don't make me sleep any better at night in the face of what's wrong in my life. But the God who had compassion on them does. Because he's the same God who has compassion on us too. This is not a different God that we're dealing with. This is not a deadbeat God who left after doing a trick once. This is a God who is driven by compassion in everything that he does, even for you, no matter what you're going through. It is the same God who, in a one-time miracle, helped and saved us all, not because of our conviction that everything would be okay when it doesn't look like it will be, but because he has mercy, even on the sinners. And so when he rode into Jerusalem to, dare, to bear that cross, he did it for you. He took your sins, your fear, your idolatry, your loss, even your death to himself. And there he bled and died for you, that your sins would be forgiven, all of them. That your life would be secure, even in the face of everything that keeps you up at night. Our Lord conquered every enemy. He forgave every sin and destroyed every single death. And it was compassion that drove him to that cross so that we can stop addressing each day like a brand new disaster. 
Because there's always going to be another problem. There's always going to be another fear. And there's always going to be another tragedy or loss. But there is a one-time miracle that stands in the face of all of it. Jesus was crucified for you. He is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let the cross shape your hope for the future. Not whether or not God dropped a pile of money from on high to pay off your mortgage. Let the compassion of the God that has no end give you hope for tomorrow. Not what you are afraid that he neglected. For eternal life will guide the cares of this world. The cares of this world cannot change whether or not you have eternal life because it is the compassion of God that he has given to you that would save your soul even as he has risen from the dead so that none of the things that keep you up at night can outweigh the victory that you have in him. And it even worked for John. They cut his head off but he stood behind and beside the Christ at the transfiguration, alive and whole. The disciples saw Moses and Elijah, but a chapter earlier, Jesus, as he preaches John's funeral sermon to the disciples, says, he is Elijah come again for those who hear him. Understand what the disciples get to see, the resurrection from the dead. John the Baptist is alive. He is in heaven and on the last day he will rise in his body because Jesus did it first. Even a death like that could not separate him from the love of God that has compassion enough to join us in the grave to raise us from the dead. And even in the meanwhile, when your conviction is in short supply, you can see the same thing played out again and again, for Jesus has compassion on his saints. Week after week, Jesus takes bread, and after giving thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to you here, now, until at last everyone is satisfied. For it is his body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins, especially the ones that make people look at you differently. You eat forgiveness, be satisfied. It is his body given for you for the victory over death for you and all who believe that even those gasping for breath would have their life in him and the promise to sustain them. You will live. Rejoice. It is his body given for you as an answer steeped in compassion to every single frustrated sinner losing sleep over one something or five of them. It doesn't mean you'll never go without, but it means you can have hope even when you do. Because even when our conviction wavers, God's mercy does not. We will not throw out the law that convicts and burdens us then. We will embrace it to serve our neighbor because it's not ours to fulfill. We will not measure the God of the heavens and earth, strictly by the providence before our eyes, but by his miracles that give way to such. We'll be the sinners that Jesus died for. We'll be the sinners that Jesus feeds, so that when our conviction is in short supply, when we are afraid and guilty and burdened and ashamed, we would have shelter here, because there is this miracle that gives us hope. The same Christ who is crucified for you, who is risen from the dead, takes bread, and after giving thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.